The Haunted UK podcast is produced and released in stereo. Listening through an environment such as headphones or stereo speakers will ensure that you get the best experience. If you love the Haunted UK podcast and you'd like to help keep the lights burning, the wheels turning and the stories rolling, then why not consider getting over to coffee and donating to the show? That's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast. You can sign up to donate just £3 per month, the price of a coffee, or as much as you like. If you'd prefer not to subscribe, then any donation to the show will be greatly appreciated. You'll even get a shout-out in an episode of the main show. So that's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast to donate. Thank you. And here are some of the names of some amazing people who have donated to the show recently. They are Matthew Turner and Nathan Hatton. As well as coffee, you can also follow the Haunted UK podcast on Instagram, Twitter at Haunted UK Pod, and on YouTube. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you love ghost stories? Tales of haunted houses and poltergeist encounters? What about other areas of the paranormal, such as strange creatures, doppelgangers, time slips, and even creepy unexplained disappearances? If you do, then you're in the right place. And these are the topics which we'll be visiting every two weeks throughout the many future episodes and seasons of this show. And just to ensure that you get the best experience... There will be no advertisements throughout the main content of this episode. But please stick around to the end of the show, where you'll hear a small promo from one of the many great podcasts out there, which I know you'll want to check out. The script for this episode was kindly proofread and edited by Marie Waller. For more details about this service, email Marie at mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. That's mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. This email address will also be in the show notes. The British Podcast Awards are almost upon us, and voting is already open for the Listener's Choice Award. At the Haunted UK Podcast, we're incredibly pleased to announce that you can now vote for us. It's straightforward and so easy to do, and you don't have to be a UK resident. You can be from anywhere in the world. Voting is easy to do. Just make your way over to the British Podcast Awards website, which is www.britishpodcastawards.com, and simply click on Listener's Choice Awards Vote. Search for the Haunted UK Podcast, type in your name and a valid email address, and click Submit. You will then be sent an email asking for you to confirm your vote. Easy as that. It would be so amazing for the show to be recognised in some parts by the whole industry. And you can help do that by casting your vote. So once again, get yourself over to 
BritishPodcastAwards.com and cast your vote today. Voting closes on the 5th of September 2023. Thank you so much in advance. Now without any further delay, let's get this episode started. It all really kicked off a month into living there. Three of the girls had gone home for the weekend and three of us stayed. On the Saturday night, we were all at home in the lounge. The lounge certainly wasn't an easy place to be. Dark, musty, oppressive. Even my dad felt a presence there when we first moved in and not wanting to frighten me, he didn't tell me. So, there we were, relaxing, thinking about what we could watch setting ourselves up for a Saturday night in, when suddenly we heard loud running footsteps above us, to the point where the ceiling was actually bouncing. We screamed, and all assumed a burglar had broken in as the front door was unlocked. The noises intensified, and we got more and more panicked and terrified. But after trying to call our boyfriends to come round and getting no answer, we decided to investigate ourselves. Slowly, we started walking up the stairs to find out what was going on. I remember shaking, and when we were halfway up, a loud bang at the top of the stairs sounded, and then a clattering of running footsteps towards us down the stairs. But we couldn't see anything. This is episode 40, part one of the Haunted UK Podcast's listener stories, and it's once again time to be amazed and frightened by your stories. Well, we find ourselves here once again, at the end of another season, but also at the end of the regular episodes, which can only mean one thing. It's listener stories time. As usual, the response from all of you fantastic listeners has been phenomenal. So many stories, so many experiences, so many elements of the paranormal and all brilliant. A huge thank you to each and every single one of you who have taken the time out to type up your stories and send them into the show. It's massively appreciated. So without any further delay, let's kick this episode off with a series of events which happened to a listener over 20 years ago. 
these experiences took part in a beautiful lodge house which was, and still is, part of a larger estate. As with the wishes of the listener, all names of people and locations have been altered. Are you ready? Because this is Susie's story. Hi there. Love the podcast and really look forward to them as I work from home and can listen and work at the same time. Being an inquisitive Cornish maid and with Cornwall having a deep mystical past, I've grown up intrigued by spooky stories, the unexplained magazines, Arthur C. Clarke and most haunted programs. I've become increasingly enthralled by my family and friends' unexplained experiences and phenomena here in Cornwall during my 48 years. From unexplained lights in the sky to civil war battles fought being seen through the Cornish mist. Maybe for another time. For me personally, I would say that I'm an open-minded skeptic and would love for ghosts to actually exist in whatever form. But the rational part of my brain tries to rationalize anything God. I think for my own sanity. I will try and outline my personal experiences in one particular property though in the order that I can remember them in. It was Boxing Day 1996. I'd just turned 22 and was excited to move in with my then-boyfriend, who was a dairy farmer. He was 10 years older than me, grounded, wanted to settle down, and was already renting a gothic lodge house on a country estate. I quickly fell in love with him and the lodge house. The house was built on a large country estate during the 1860s, and would have been one of the lodge houses that would have housed the workers on the estate. This tradition was still being kept, in fact, as Jake and his business partner rented a farm, land, and a few properties from the country estate owners. We had been living together for about five months, and nothing thus far remotely weird had happened, until one evening, which spectacularly changed that notion. Weird was here to stay. Jake had to work late on the farm this particular night, and this left me on my own in the lodge watching TV one evening. Suddenly, I heard what sounded like a child jump down from our bedroom window seat, which was above the living room where I was watching TV, and quickly walk across the bedroom floor, across the small landing, and finish halfway down the stairs. Feeling a bit perturbed by this, I plucked up the courage to peer around the living room door and look towards the staircase. Of course, there was nothing there at all that I could see, so immediately went back to watching the TV, although my head kept saying, I definitely heard that. I know I heard that. When Jake finally arrived home, I told him what had happened, to which he replied, Yeah, Sophie, who was his previous girlfriend, had also experienced the same thing happen to her when she was alone there one evening and heard someone walk across our bedroom floor and halfway down the stairs. Although this at first startled me a bit, at least I wasn't going mad. Skip a couple more months and it was nearing the end of summer 1997 at the lodge and I hadn't heard anything since that night. The evenings had started to draw in and I convinced Jake that we should start a family. Well, it started at first with a furry family. We found some kittens close to us that needed a home, so immediately we took three sisters in, and they were adorable. Naughty, but adorable. Our house now felt like a home. 
I often used to stay up later than Jake, as he would need to get up at 5am to milk the cows, and I wouldn't need to get up until later, as I didn't start work until 8.30am. Back in those days, I worked as a buying assistant for a local engineering company, and being a busy new kitten mum and working, I needed some downtime. This usually involved me watching TV until very late in the evenings. One evening, must have been November-December time, the kittens were playing like they did back then on the back of the sofa behind me. Suddenly, all three of them stopped playing. Their fur went completely rigid and stood up on end, and they all, one by one, started to stare up at the stairs. Now at first, I thought they may have heard Jake shuffling in his sleep and got a bit spooked. But what happened next was to be my most frightening experience in that lodge house. The electric completely cut out. There were no thunderstorms that night or strong winds that I can remember. Everywhere was in darkness. You literally could not see your hands in front of your face. It was that pitch black. No streetlights outside, as we were in the country. Just a void of darkness. I had no idea where the cats had disappeared to, but I knew I had to move. Somewhere. Anywhere. Just out of that room. All I remember is feeling my heart pumping in my chest, but also hearing it thumping in my head. I remember fumbling my way to the stair banister, on one hand thinking, oh crap, I might actually encounter something on these stairs, but on the other hand thinking that sanctuary was awaiting me in the form of our bedroom and Jake. Not that he had a clue of what was going on, mind you, as he was fast asleep. Scrambling and feeling my way up the stairs, I eventually made it to the bedroom and to my haven, pulling the duvet tightly over my eyes. I must have eventually gone to sleep, as when I woke, it was morning again. Everything seemed back to normal. The electric had come back on, and the cats were busy playing again. From time to time, during 1998, I would hear the little footsteps on the bedroom floor, and on the stairs, but I just kind of accepted it and it never frightened me. The electric never went out like that again, thankfully, and when Jake was there, nothing out of the ordinary would happen. In September 1998, our furry family had an addition, in human form this time. My eldest daughter Jenna was born. From that moment until she became a toddler and spoke, nothing out of the ordinary seemed to happen, until one day, years later, both Jenna and I heard something. We had gotten so used to the sound of her dad driving up the lane next to the lodge. He'd be in his Land Rover, and we'd always hear him turning off the engine, then making a noise in the porch by taking off his boots and messy jeans, before putting his key in the Yale lock to come in. One evening we heard the Land Rover, the engine turn off, Jake in the porch, and lastly the key in the Yale lock. Daddy, Daddy, Jenna yelled as she ran to the door to greet him. We waited and waited, and nope, no dad. We both definitely heard him come home, but he didn't come in. I even checked myself, opening the large heavy front door and looking up the lane and down to where he would have driven in from, but nothing. I then started to worry a bit and thought perhaps this was some sort of premonition and something bad might have happened to him. 
Of course, I played all of this down to Jenna, as I didn't want to scare her, so I made a joke of it instead. Silly daddy. Back then, it was before the time of mobile phones, but Jake had a BT pager. This thing was invincible. The amount of times it had gone through the washing machine, and was even once half melted on the Rayburn after it fell off the clothes dryer, but the thing still worked. You could phone from a landline, and the number would pop up on his pager to phone back. I remember paging him from the landline. He rang from the milking parlour to say that everything was fine, but he was running a little late. I explained what we'd both encountered, and he said that Sophie had also had the same thing happen to her too, years before when she lived there. So again, I knew this was verified. Since that event, I didn't personally encounter any other unusual activity. I do think Jenna did, though. I recall one occasion when she said, Mummy, who's the lady who just walked past the window in the long dress? There was nobody outside that I could see, and we were nowhere near another building. We didn't have any neighbours. On another occasion, one of the cats who took a shine to Jenna and used to get into her cot bed with her at night apparently scared off something quite strange in the early hours. Jenna described it as a monster. In fact, Jenna wanted to make it very clear to me that she wasn't dreaming, that she was wide awake. She described hearing the cat growl, hiss and fly furiously at something. It scared her so much, she scrambled out of her cot bed and into our room and our bed. Jenna, being so little at the time, described the monster as Sully from Monsters, Inc. But whatever this thing was, it sent the cat into a hysterically wild and protective frenzy. So convinced the reality of this, Jenna still to this day says it really happened. Chillingly, she also would go on to see a girl sitting on her bed at my mum and dad's house a few years later. Our second daughter, Moena, was born in 2002, and from then until 2008, when my relationship with Jake ended and the girls left with me, none of us saw or heard anything else unexplained in the lodge house. I have heard, though, that in the years after, Jake's wife has experienced the footsteps and that key sound in the door. I have always said I would go back and haunt that house myself when I leave this world. It was a lovely cottage in the woods, and even though it had unexplained phenomena, there wasn't a bad feeling there at all. And my girls spent their very early years with the freedom of the countryside and woods to play in. A happy, haunted haven, it certainly was. Best regards, Susie. This next story comes from a listener who wished to remain anonymous, and describes a conversation he had with his mother-in-law about the strange goings-on at an RAF base. I really love stories like this, and I'm hoping to research this a lot further and maybe bring it into Season 5 as a dedicated episode. We'll see how it goes. But for now, here's the story. Hi Steve. Thought you might be interested in this one that I came across recently. Whilst watching Ghostbusters over the Christmas break, I happened to ask my mother-in-law, Jen, if she believed in any of that paranormal stuff. However, I was mildly surprised when she said that she did. 
She then continued to tell me about a so-called beast at a local RAF base. My mother-in-law actually grew up in the village next to the base and said that when she was younger, she would play in the fields around the base perimeter. There was a particular set of woods which neither she nor her friends would dare enter. She didn't go into too much detail about why, just that it always felt like they shouldn't. She also retold a brief story shared by one of her friends, Tessa, who once worked at the base many years ago. She said that mysterious scratch marks had been found on military hardware, and these marks didn't look man-made. Other personnel also reported seeing, to their horror, these impressions actually being made by an unseen creature or being. It was a strange conversation, to be honest, kind of surreal, but I had no reason to believe that this was fabricated in any way. After doing a little research on this topic, I was intrigued to come across many references to this monster. I must admit that until recently, I'd not heard these stories. However, before large parts of the base were closed and subsequently developed upon, about seven or eight years ago, I had the unique opportunity to run a 10K race which started on the main runway passed some woods along the perimeter and continued into the village beyond. I remember that I got an odd feeling when passing the wooded area, almost like something or someone was watching us. I didn't think about it too much at the time, but the story my mother-in-law told helped me recall this, and after looking on a generic map, I believe it could well be the same woods. Keep up the great work, Steve. Best podcast I've ever come across. All the best. Our next story comes from Claire, and this tale feels like it could have been lifted from the pages of a horror novel. Multiple witnesses encountering a very dark, ominous, and evil presence in an innocent-looking house, where a time at university, which should have been happy and adventurous, turned into a living nightmare. My story starts in Nottingham, 2003. It was my second year at university, and my friends and I, five girls, all aged between 18 and 19, were really excited to go into our second year at uni and move into a house that we'd found and loved. It's actually a period of time where I still feel a sense of unease and dread when I think about it. My mental health was massively impacted whilst I lived there, so I feel I should tell my story. It's so bizarre and unsettling, I thought it was worth sharing. During the summer holidays before term started, we decided that we wanted a night out in Nottingham, so we drove up and stayed for the first time in the house. A semi-detached place which looked from the outside like it possibly had had an additional house attached to the other side at one point, but it was no longer there. Like something was missing from it. Something odd about it. The landlord bragged that he had bought the house dirt cheap and renovated it for a uni house. It was really lovely. Or so it seemed. One blisteringly hot summer afternoon, my sister started to get a migraine, so decided to go back to the house to rest. Getting into bed, closing her eyes, she heard the door bang, quickly followed by a man's voice calling upstairs. Hello? Assuming it was the landlord, she went down to check. There was nobody there. 
When she told us, we thought this was strange but carried on with our evening's plans. And so, the paranormal activity had begun. In September, myself and the other five girls all moved in. I was in an attic room and a friend was also in the second attic bedroom on the same floor. My room was long and narrow, with a strange vibe. One end seemed darker and uninviting, with a wardrobe at the end which my eyes would always get drawn to. In the first couple of weeks, we heard loud noises, bumps, but as there were so many of us in there, it was easy to think that one of us was causing the racket. One evening, whilst lying on the bed with my boyfriend, a rattling noise made us look at the wardrobe. I had one of those hangers in there which was drying my socks, and it was swinging. We both looked at each other, completely baffled, and then it suddenly just stopped. It didn't slow down swinging, it just stopped, dead. We of course thought this was strange, but, well, we ignored it. It all really kicked off a month into living there. Three of the girls had gone home for the weekend and three of us stayed. On the Saturday night, we were all at home in the lounge. The lounge certainly wasn't an easy place to be. Dark, musty, oppressive. Even my dad felt a presence there when we first moved in, and not wanting to frighten me, he didn't tell me. So, there we were, relaxing, thinking about what we could watch, setting ourselves up for a Saturday night in, when suddenly we heard loud running footsteps above us, to the point where the ceiling was actually bouncing. We screamed, and all assumed a burglar had broken in as the front door was unlocked. The noises intensified, and we got more and more panicked and terrified. But after trying to call our boyfriends to come round and getting no answer, we decided to investigate ourselves. Slowly, we started walking up the stairs to find out what was going on. I remember shaking, and when we were halfway up, a loud bang at the top of the stairs sounded, and then a clattering of running footsteps towards us down the stairs. But we couldn't see anything. We all screamed and legged it down the stairs and into the lounge, panting and terrified. At this point, a boyfriend of one of the girls turned up to check on us and went around the entire house, checking each room. He thought we were mad and didn't believe in ghosts, but as he moved from room to room, he couldn't deny that the noises kept banging in different rooms, as if something or someone was moving from room to room. From this point on, we realized there was something very wrong with the house. It had a very heavy, oppressive feeling to it, and was always freezing cold, with very obvious cold spots in the lounge and hall. And the bathroom? Well, the bathroom had such a horrid vibe that none of our boyfriends would even entertain the idea of setting foot in there. And they would hate it if we left them alone in our bedroom to go to the toilet, etc., as there was such a creepy atmosphere upstairs. Strange things would happen, such as one night we'd all been out and had come home together to find all our doors propped open with a hairdryer or straightener wires. It was so odd, like there was a pattern to it, like it had been done on purpose. One time, my boyfriend and I were there alone 
and the banging and other noises were so loud and scary above us that we decided to leave at 11pm and go to the cinema for a midnight viewing of a film to escape. One of the more disturbing things to happen at this time was a strange entity that seemed to lurk on the attic floor, where my room was. My friend who shared the attic floor with me started to get sleep paralysis whilst being there, often waking up in the night and hearing somebody ripping paper in the corner of her room and not being able to move or scream. Tensions arose in that house. We went from being a tight-knit group of friends who always had fun to girls who clashed, were angry, depressed, anxious. Myself and my friend on the attic floor both had insomnia for months. We literally didn't sleep. There was such an anxiety-induced, low, horrible feeling in our rooms that we couldn't rest at night. I would hear human sighs and breathing in my ear, and if I closed my eyes, I'd feel like someone was stood there. I would go for weeks without any real sleep at all. I started to get depressed, something I had never suffered with before or since. I couldn't shake this low, dark feeling. The house was causing it, but at the same time, it would draw me back. I wouldn't want to go to lectures and would instead come home for lunch. We'd often hear dragging chairs and tables in the kitchen, but would go in and find that nothing had moved. One day, me and a friend were the only girls at home, and we were getting ready for a shopping trip. She slept in the bedroom below mine. Whilst I was getting ready, I could hear her dragging furniture around, and it was so loud that I wondered what the hell she was doing as she was a very slim girl, and I couldn't see how she'd be able to move any furniture alone. Once ready, I walked downstairs to her room. As she turned around, the first thing she said was, Why on earth were you moving furniture around? We've lived here for months. I went pale, swallowed and replied, No, you were moving your furniture, weren't you? She shook her head. We both just stared at each other in shock. Nothing had moved in either of our rooms. After an entire miserable uni year of living there and constant activity, we finally decided we would get a new house for our third year as we couldn't stay any longer. On the day I was packing up my room to leave, my mum and dad came to help. Mum offered to pack up my room while I took my dad to the new house with some boxes. When we returned an hour later, my mum was washing up in the kitchen, with all the doors and the windows wide open, and she was very, very quiet. Nothing had been packed up in my room at all, I crossly asked her why she hadn't done anything, and she replied that she had got distracted cleaning. I thought this was very strange. In the car home, she turned to me and apologised for not packing up my room. She said that as she climbed the stairs and got to the middle floor, she heard somebody ripping paper in my friend's empty room. She became so frightened that she ran back downstairs. I immediately went to say that she must have just got freaked out after I had told her my friend often heard that noise in her room at night. My mum looked totally confused and replied, You've never told me that before. I thought I was being silly. 
Has it actually happened before? It confirmed to me that there had to have been something dark in there. The depression I had been battling in silence for six months suddenly vanished a few days into being back at home with my parents. I got a job, started to sleep again, and felt my old self. It was only when we went back to uni and moved into a new house that we all talked about just how strange the old house was and how it had impacted us all hugely mentally. We only realized just how much once we had moved home for the summer. Living in that house opened up my sixth sense, and from that point onwards, I would know immediately if a room, house, or place had a spirit or strange vibe. I've had countless spiritual experiences since, but nothing as dark and oppressive as that house. And thank goodness. Claire I was absolutely fascinated after reading this story, and as with every person who submits a story to the show, I emailed Claire to thank her, but to also ask, had there been any other witnesses or experiences that she could think of? And she didn't disappoint. Claire continues. I'm glad that the story was interesting. So, to add to it, I can say that my mum stayed over one weekend, and was so scared sleeping on my floor in my dreaded bedroom that she ended up getting into my single bed with me. She said she kept seeing a dark shape at the end of the room with the wardrobe. We also contacted a psychic medium who did a reading of the house from looking at a map, and it was quite crazy what he actually picked up. He said that he felt something had happened in the bathroom, a room that even our boyfriends wouldn't use at night. He also said he was picking up something about electrical wires and a suicide, which seemed to link into the incident when all our doors were being propped open one night when we were out. Various friends would say when they walked through the hall on the second floor that it was icy and nobody liked that house. The vibe was just off. The more time you spent there, the more it seeped in, and I've said on a number of occasions that you could pay me a lump sum of money and I would still never, ever sleep there again. I don't think I'd even want to step foot in there, to be honest. I remember one night, when I was supposed to stay with a friend in Liverpool that weekend, but instead, I ended up staying there when everyone else had gone home for the end of term. My boyfriend was supposed to be staying over there with me, but got stuck at work and couldn't make it. I was honestly terrified. I kept my TV on, lights on in my room and just didn't sleep at all. There were constant noises, and when you would close your eyes it was as if somebody was standing on the carpet next to you, making tiny sounds that were like a presence, like someone was stood right there. The minute it was early morning, I got up and left. I literally looked at the house on Google Maps this week on Street View, and even that gave me shivers. I'm so glad that we got away from there, but I always felt guilt about the students that moved in after us. We once saw them on a night out and asked how the house was. One of the girls said she'd heard a lot of noises, but at that time there were more men in that house. And I always thought that the sheer number of six teenage hormonal girls living in there may have created a mad paranormal energy which the presence fed off. 
a possible theory, perhaps. Hope that helps. Love the show. Claire. Having a sighting of a ghost or an experience with a poltergeist manifestation can be extremely traumatic. But what if you were out one day, innocently enjoying the countryside with a friend while you hiked, and you came across a creature that is only spoken about in legend or in very rare sightings? This is what our next story deals with, and I'm so thankful to the sender for having the courage to email this story into the show. I found it incredibly fascinating. To respect the author's wishes, any names mentioned have been changed. Hi Steve, I'm emailing you to share my encounter with the Beast of Cumbria, a sighting I had previously shoved to the back of my mind as just one of those unexplainable things. That was until I chanced upon an article and then a whole goldmine of information surrounding the Beast which confirmed its existence to me. As somewhat of a skeptic, me and my family have surprisingly had our fair share of weird paranormal experiences in my old house. Oppressive atmospheres, phantom footsteps, swinging lights, and a creepy, possibly possessed wooden figurine. However, this story is actually focused around an experience I had in 2018, while out walking on a local fell a few miles from my house. I live in Cumbria, in the northwest of England, famous for its vast expanse of lakes and mountains. We get a lot of tourists passing through the villages and towns in the summer, but when winter comes around, as it often does, the roads and towns become eerily quiet in more of the honeypot areas. This is the time of year I prefer to go hiking, as the paths are blissfully empty. This is exactly what me and a friend, who I'll call Owen, had planned one late afternoon in November. This particular walk, the Ascombe Fell route, is a short one, so we hadn't packed many supplies as the round trip would only take a couple of hours. The path follows a gradual incline to the summit, upon which there is a rocky outcrop perfect for viewing the lake below. This area is large and flat, about a football pitch in width, with a small wood to the far side. We decided to take a rest here after walking for roughly an hour. The lake was absolutely beautiful, streaked red and gold with the setting sun. After about ten minutes of taking in the view, however, I turned to Owen to suggest we carry on as my feet had started to freeze in my boots. He agreed, and we stood up to face the opposite side of the summit, where there is a path leading down to the local village below the fell. After about 30 seconds of walking in that direction, I stopped and stood very still. Owen, do you see that? I pointed a finger to what I can only describe as a huge black cat walking on all fours through the long grass about 150 metres from where we stood. Although it was getting dark, it was still light enough to see the creature's massive silhouette the hunched shoulders I had seen on panthers or leopards in documentaries while they stalked their prey, the long black fur and a swishing tail. It wasn't facing us, but instead had its side to us and seemed to be heading towards the wooded area further down the hill. I looked away and looked back again to see if it was a trick of the light. It was still there, in the exact same position. 
Owen was looking confused, trying to follow where my finger was pointing. It can't be a stray cat, can it? I asked, feeling more of a sense of wonder than panic. I suppose this is a normal reaction when you grow up knowing that any possible dangerous and wild animal in your area has been extinct for over a hundred years. The cat, however, was still easily visible above the tall grass, which must have been half a metre tall. It couldn't have been a normal cat, or a pine martin for that matter. I was getting frustrated, as Owen couldn't seem to be following the direction my finger was pointing at. There! Look! I whisper shouted as it began to disappear into the trees. Owen saw it this time and stared in amazement. He then turned to me and suggested we get off the fell as quickly as possible. We were in such a rush we lost the path and ended up in a field with an angry bull, caked in mud, before making it to the village in complete darkness. At the time this happened, I hadn't passed my driving test and still lived at home with my family, so my mum came to pick me and Owen up as we had veered off our initial walk. I told her what had happened and urged Owen to confirm my account but it seemed he had lost interest, and I fought my disappointment that I'd never get to figure out what it was we saw that day on the fell. I was in disbelief that he wasn't as curious as me as to what we'd seen. Five years later, I'm listening to your podcast and hear you mention that if you have seen any sightings of an unknown creature, please send it in. I didn't feel like this was enough substantial evidence, so I went to Google to see if anyone else had seen the creature I had mostly forgotten about. I was absolutely astounded to find out that this was a well-established and documented creature, which has been spotted all over Cumbria, with sightings dating as far back as the 1990s. Being a skeptic of all things paranormal, I wouldn't have for a second believed these accounts if it weren't for my own sighting of which I have no doubt was real. I had no idea about even the existence of the reports or the folklore of this creature until today, when I'm writing this email to you. We don't have many zoos in Cumbria, none of which have reported an escaped big cat to my knowledge. Additionally, panthers are only documented to live up to roughly 20 years in the wild, and Cumbria isn't exactly the most hospitable place for a tropical big cat. There is, however, the theory that these are illegal pets released into the wild, though if this were the case, there would likely be more reported attacks on humans and animals in the area. Me and my mum are both loving your podcast. Keep up the amazing work. I'm always looking for the opinions of witnesses from both sides of the fence, skeptic and believer. And the following story comes from Anthony, who wanted to share his terrifying experiences regarding something that could harbor explanations for many paranormal incidents. Sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis and sleep deprivation can have dramatic effects on not just the human body, but also the human mind we can become intolerable, angry, forgetful, and we can even have extremely real-looking hallucinations. It's incredibly interesting to hear from somebody who actually suffers from sleep paralysis. I can't thank Anthony enough for detailing a couple of his experiences 
with this very disturbing condition. This is Anthony's chilling experience. In a previous episode, you mentioned wanting to hear stories about sleep paralysis. And this is something that has happened to me a couple of times and is utterly terrifying. The first event was a few months after my boyfriend and I moved into our first flat together. It was a new build, which had a fair number of teething problems. But it was nice when we first moved there. As the building was brand new, it was barely occupied, and we were given the choice of around a dozen empty flats in the building. Naturally, we chose the largest one, as they were all the same rental price. Later, the building got pretty noisy as it filled with tenants, but for the first six months or so, the building was eerily quiet, and you rarely saw or heard any neighbours despite the paper-thin walls. One morning, I remember walking. Sunlight had filled the room, but I had a sense of impending dread. I opened my eyes and was facing towards the bedroom door. It was then that I began to hear movement in the hallway on the other side. It sounded like a couple of people were inside the hallway and they were moving towards our bedroom door. My stomach sank when I heard two voices begin to talk. They were two men and they were talking and hushing each other and began to talk about their plan to burst into our bedroom and what they would do to us. I can't remember the details, but it amounted to them brutally murdering us. All this time, my eyes were fixated on the door, but I couldn't move. My head was fixed in place and my breathing was shallow and panicked. I tried to move, but it was as if I was weighted down. I could hear the voices getting closer, and they were preparing to open the door. I couldn't move. I was completely paralysed and utterly terrified. Just as I heard them reach for the handle, something switched, and I could suddenly move again. I gasped and sat upright in bed and woke my partner, but I didn't make a lot of sense. It was silent in the hallway now, and I took a breath, got out of bed, and went to the door. I opened it, and there was nothing there. The voices were gone. The hallway was empty. The door was locked and bolted. This was probably one of the most frightening experiences I've ever had. It did, however, happen again. This time, after we had moved into our own house, a Victorian terraced house. Again, it happened in the morning, and I heard the voices again, and they were on the other side of our bedroom door. This time, when I regained control, I quickly opened the door, to find nothing once again. I can understand how people can believe in ghosts or spirits after experiencing something like this, because it's a truly horrifying experience. I'd already heard of sleep paralysis before these experiences, and what I experienced appears to be a textbook example, including the auditory hallucinations. Although it was incredibly scary, there was nothing paranormal about it. The human mind is capable of generating some truly terrifying hallucinations without the need of any external input. I hope my story may help others understand that what has happened to them may not be anything supernatural, but more something from within. Though I don't know if that makes it any less scary. Thanks, Anthony. 
Next up is a listener who has kindly sent in some of her experiences whilst working at one of the most well-known places in the world, Kensington Palace in London. This location has been home to many members of the royal family, including Queen Elizabeth II's sister, Princess Margaret, but most famously, Princess Diana. Because of the importance of the palace, its security and the people still working there who were involved in these stories, all names and other sensitive information has been either altered or left out entirely by the request of the listener. Kensington Palace began life as Nottingham House in 1605. It was then nestled in what was known as Kensington Village, a far cry from the bustling area of West London it is today. It was considered an area of clean air, with lush green space all around. It was this idyllic and more relaxed setting that attracted Queen Mary II and her husband and co-monarch William III to purchase Nottingham House in 1689. William suffered greatly with asthma, and it was considered a far better location for them to make their home. Sir Christopher Wren was instructed to begin work on plans to make the house more palatial, and Kensington Palace was born. They lived and ruled from there until Queen Mary's death from smallpox in 1694. After a riding accident and subsequent pneumonia, William passed away in 1702. Queen Anne began the subsequent succession of monarchs that called Kensington Palace home. Anne, George I and George II all put their mark upon it, with various structural adjustments and grand decorations. When George III began his reign, he announced his displeasure at having Kensington Palace as his main residence and stated his intention to relocate. The plans for Buckingham Palace were drawn up and that became the main residence of the monarch. A succession of minor royals had apartments in the palace until 1837 when a young Princess Victoria was awoken in her chamber to the news that her uncle, King William IV, had died and she was now queen. And then she herself relocated to Buckingham Palace. I started work at Kensington in the summer of 2007. It wasn't quite as polished as it is now and hadn't been renovated for quite some time. Compared to its sister sites of Hampton Court and the Tower of London, it seemed somewhat forgotten despite its beauty and the stories it had to tell. As a huge fan of Victoriana, I was bowled over to be spending my days in the very rooms that birthed that particular age. It was very quickly pointed out to me that the majority of visitors that attended came mainly for the palace's links with Princess Diana. We had a display of her dresses in a part of the palace, but people seemed to be under the impression that they would be viewing her private residence, when in fact she lived on the other side of the palace where a number of royals still resided. These residences were completely private and separated from the public part. We got very used to smiling as we reiterated this to the guests numerous times a day. I was just happy being in these glorious rooms, soaking up the history. My mind obviously turned pretty quickly to ghosts in this setting, and I was not to be disappointed. I was made aware of some of the palace's classic hauntings. George II is one of the longest-running apparitions. He died in 1760 whilst awaiting news from his homeland in Hanover. 
Many people reported seeing his spirit looking out of the window towards a weather vane intoning, Why won't they come? in a very strong German accent, over and over again. No news came, it would seem, which left his spirit forever bound to look out for a messenger who would never arrive. Princess Sophia was another lingering lost soul. The great-granddaughter of George II, she led a very sheltered and sad life. She wasn't allowed to mix with those outside palace life, and rumours of an incestuous relationship with her brother, the Duke of Cumberland, and an illegitimate child with her father's equerry would plague her all of her life. But I should say that neither of these rumours were ever proved to be true. Sophia instead spent hours sat at her spinning wheel, and it became her main focus and only true friend. She eventually went blind, but years after she died, the clack, clack, clack of her spinning wheel could be heard floating around the state apartments. My first experience of the paranormal at Kensington was early one morning, before we had opened. My colleague and I were stationed in the state apartments that morning, she in the king's apartments and me in the queen's apartments. We were on our separate sides doing our checks and ensuring we were ready to go when my colleague came flying through an interconnected door towards me. Please tell me that was you humming a tune. I told her, no, it, it wasn't. She heard a woman's voice humming and followed her around. I went back with her, but nothing. The ghostly tune had faded away. Another colleague had a very clear apparition appear before him. He was entering the vestibule to the king's grand staircase, so-called because it was beautifully painted with characters and gold leaf, etc. And when he looked up, climbing the stairs in front of him, was a man dressed in a frock coat and breeches, with stockinged legs and a powdered wig. He ascended the staircase and just vanished as he reached the top. My colleague took him to be a footman or such, certainly not of this era. On the subject of stockinged legs, these were seen on a number of occasions, but on their own, without a torso. One of the team leaders was closing down one night and she dutifully went around turning lights off. She reached the Mantua room, a room that displayed court dress from the Georgian period. She became aware of a pair of legs from the knee down, stocking, with buckle shoes, just stood there, not moving. She moved, though, incredibly swiftly out of the room. She was so scared, she called her mum and got her to talk to her as she finished the closed-down routine, so she didn't feel alone. The legs have popped up in other locations, even downstairs, where they've been seen by others. Assuming they belong to the same person, they would have had to walk through various doors and go down a spiral staircase to get there. One afternoon, I was posted at the end of the visitor's route, by the exit, if you were there, you had to take the audio guides from visitors on their way out and answer any questions they might have. It was a painfully quiet day, and the weather was awful, and we had very few visitors in. I sat down at a small desk by the door. I think I probably whipped my phone out and sent and read some texts. When I heard horses' hooves, not just a simple trot, but thunderous galloping steps outside. 
I stood up and went to the door and stepped outside. Nothing. Nothing at all. We would occasionally see ponies walk around the gardens, but certainly not herring up towards the palace. I think the strangest experience I had was another audible one. Again, early one morning prior to opening, I was upstairs getting things ready. I think I was adjusting the shutters in the presence chamber. We had to protect a tapestry on the wall, so had to restrict the sunlight coming through. The top of the king's grand staircase was just next door, and I heard what I can only describe as a party of people coming up the stairs towards me. Oh, for God's sake, I thought, the ticket staff have let people in early. Still hearing what can best be described as utter jollity coming from the stairs. Lots of laughing and muttered yet loud conversation. I headed towards the staircase to see what was going on. But as I got there, all I found was an empty and very quiet staircase. This, I learned later, had happened to other colleagues of mine. It was assumed that it was the attendees of some long-forgotten party or ball. The staircase would have been ascended and they would have been received by the king or queen at the top. There are other stories regarding Peter the Wild Boy, a feral child that had been living wild, allegedly, and living on all fours. He was found on a hunting trip by George I in Hamlin, Germany in 1726, and brought back to London. Although the boy was painted into the mural on the Grand Staircase at Kensington, he spent most of his life and was buried in Hertfordshire so I'm not sure if the story of his ghost in the palace has much merit, though the story itself is certainly fascinating. Other rumours about Mary II and her figure appearing in the state apartments appear online, though this is never a story I heard whilst working there, and none of my colleagues witnessed anything. A palace of huge differences, from some of the biggest names in the monarchy to minor royals, from quite possibly the most famous woman ever, to her son and his family and their time there, though I think the Cambridges spend most of their time elsewhere now. Secrets, spirits, life and death. A hidden gem, really. I will also mention that one of my favourite things to do whilst working there was to take visitors on tours of apartment 1A, which was formerly Princess Margaret's home. Nothing ghostly in there, but there are some rather fantastic stories of a real character and some of the most glamorous 70s decor, which is fascinating. That apartment was handed over to the Cambridges, now Prince and Princess of Wales, so is no longer in the public domain. Thank you, and keep up the good work. Kind regards. Our next story was sent in by Jeff, and it's a truly remarkable tale of a sighting of a full-body apparition. Now, as we all know from many stories we've already covered on this podcast, sightings of this type of ghost are an extremely rare occurrence. But Jeff's story is even more special. Multiple witnesses saw the same apparition on a number of different occasions. Jeff writes, I was a young boy in the 70s, My parents unfortunately separated in 1976. A summer holiday had already been booked for the family prior to this, 
but under the circumstances, my dad didn't come when the time came to go. Instead, my nan, my mum's mother, came along. It was to a cottage on the coast of West Wales. The cottage, so we discovered, had long ago been a blacksmith's cottage with a forge alongside. The forge part of the building had been rebuilt into an extension of the original cottage. All in all, it was a pleasant enough accommodation, though quite isolated. The weather for most of the week we were there was awful. Low cloud and driving rain were the norm, so we didn't get out that much. As the weather closed in, the cottage became increasingly dingy. My bedroom was at the top of the stairs to the left of the landing. My mum and Nan had the room to the right. One particularly dark afternoon, we were confined to the cottage due to the weather. I'd been building an airfix model kit in my room and decided to go upstairs to do some more. As I got about two-thirds of the way up the stairs, to my surprise a man walked out of my bedroom, through the closed bedroom door. It happened so unexpectedly. I could hardly believe it had happened. And this really is burned into my memory like a photograph. He was in his fifties, with a lot of wavy silver hair and a grey stubble chin. He had a ruddy complexion, quite heavily built. He looked purposeful, intent on whatever task he had at hand. He wore a grey or white collarless shirt, grey trousers and a brown leather apron tied at the waist by a type of thick string. There was a pocket in the leather apron that looked like it had tools in it. He was as solid as anybody you'd encounter in the street. The only difference was that there was like a haze that followed him, as if the air shimmered for a few feet behind him. He walked slowly across the landing and into my mum's bedroom, also through the closed door. I wasn't frightened. I'd have expected to have been terrified, but I wasn't. I don't think he was even aware I was there. It was a strange moment in time. Puzzled and a little shocked, I went downstairs and told my mum and nan. They humoured me, of course, but generally put it down to childish imagination. But that wasn't the end of it. And put it this way, by the following morning, my mum completely believed me. According to her, Late that evening after she'd gone to bed, the same man walked into her bedroom, through the closed bedroom door. He then walked across the room and out through the wall. And there was still more to come. During the middle of the week, the weather briefly improved, so we went out. When we got back, Mum and Nan went into the cottage ahead of me. I stayed outside for a few minutes, enjoying the rare sunshine. When I went inside, Mum and Nan were sitting in the kitchen, looking a little shaken. They told me that when they'd walked into the living room, there was an elderly man sitting in a chair by the rear window. Mum said that the elderly man was a much older version of the man that we had both seen in the cottage earlier in the week, perhaps some twenty years older. Mum felt strongly that there had been some sort of accident in the forge and it was a long time since he'd been able to work and that he died in that chair. Both Mum and Nan saw this but only Mum had the feelings about the man. Both said that there had been a powerful scent of apple blossom in the room. 
It was late summer, so out of apple blossom season. Nothing else happened, as if that wasn't enough. Mum and Nan are now long deceased. We talked about this many times over their remaining years. I appreciate how rare it is to witness an actual ghost, and I feel hugely privileged to this day to have had this experience. I've had a few experiences over the years, but this was the only ghost that I can claim to have seen, other than on the morning that my nan passed away. I'm sure that I saw her looking up at me from the foot of the stairs, but I can't be sure of what I saw. But I am 100% sure of what I encountered in that cottage in Wales back in the 1970s. Jeff. And that, I'm afraid, is where we're going to leave this episode. I think you'll all agree that these stories are all amazing and at times very, very unsettling and eerie. And if you have any thoughts, theories or similar experiences to any of these stories, then we would love to hear from you. Let us know on Twitter at HauntedUKPod. Include the hashtag HauntedUKPodcast and we could start a conversation going. Alternatively, let us know on Instagram at Haunted UK Podcast. Drop us a message or even a voice note. We love hearing your stories and opinions. A massive thank you to everyone who kindly shared their experiences in this episode. It's hugely appreciated, and I'm tremendously grateful. Remember, this is only the first part of this season's listener stories, so there's plenty more to come. You'll all just have to be a little bit patient. In the meantime, be careful the next time you embark on a fell-walking expedition. Or if you have an attic room and you hear something unusual, you're not sure, but you think it might be the sound of paper being ripped. Because the next person to feature in a listener's story could be you. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK Podcast. But before I go, I'd like to ask a favour from all of you amazing listeners out there. The show's end-of-season finale revolves around the experiences and stories from listeners just like you. So if you've had an encounter with any element of the paranormal and you'd like to share your story, then I'd love to tell it for you on the Listener Stories finale episodes. Simply type up your story and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. And in the subject section of your email, title it Listener Story so it's easy for me to find. All stories are treated with the utmost privacy and respect. And if you wish to remain anonymous, then that's no problem at all. This podcast is recorded, mixed and mastered at my studio, Blue Step Audio, in Hales Owen in the West Midlands, England. If you have a piece of music you'd like mixing or mastering, or if you have a podcast that needs title music writing, or maybe you want your whole podcast editing and prepping for distribution, then why not get in touch with me via email at bluestepaudio at hotmail.com. That's bluestepaudio.com at hotmail.com with your inquiry and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. For a list of all research sources which I found helpful for the writing of this episode, 
please see the show's notes. Thank you again for listening to and supporting the Haunted UK podcast. So until the next episode, stay safe and take care. But before you go, why not check out the following great podcast? Well, hi there. You must be new in town. Inniscombe's a tiny mountain village. Won't take you long to find your way around. Come on down to the corn shucking later on. Someone's sure to let you hitch a ride in their wagon. But you better steer clear of Porter Hollis. And the woods. Especially the woods. According to rumor, 17-year-old Porter Hollis is to blame for his mama's crying sickness. You see, he's been bewitched by the never-seen. Spirits haunting the forest who possess townsfolk's bodies and steal their souls. No one knows how or why the never-seen afflict this town. And don't you ask, don't you dare ask. Folk get all up in arms when someone starts sniffing around, asking about the past. Anyway, where was I? Oh, hope you'll stay a while. You might be new, but folk will warm up to you soon enough. It's getting dark now. Find some place to stay the night before the never-seen float down from the mountains looking for a soul like you. Written and narrated by me, Leah Noel, with special appearance by David Walker, The Innis Forgettance is a fiction podcast that straddles timelines set in an alternate Appalachia and faraway Celtic fort. Travel with Porter Hollis as he sets on a journey to untangle the lies of the past and a spell woven of darkness and fear. Will he bring about Innis Combe's deliverance? or its end.